uh, this morning, um, I want to start off by, by just praying. As we look at Psalm 56, uh, you guys can go ahead and turn there. We're going to be there in a, in a moment. Uh, but this was, a, you know, an exciting uh, week for me. And, um, and there's a lot that the Lord's been doing on my, on my heart. Uh, not all of it do I think I have time to share. And that's why I, I'm just relying on the Holy Spirit to just uh, uh, be here and to, and to, uh, and to um, just speak through me. And that's my prayer. Let's pray. Lord, Holy Spirit, we just, um, we're just so thankful for your presence. And, and God, I, I know um, what, you've, what you've been laying on my heart. And, and I just pray you'd help me to faithfully... Uh, Draw that out, Lord, and, and as we look at the scripture, uh, Lord, that the words that I speak today would be your uh, words, and that we would, uh, Lord, we would just take away from this something that, uh, that you can use as, as fertile soil in our hearts to do the work that we need you to do in us by your spirit. Lord, I just, uh, I'm grateful that you uh, do not leave us, and you do not forsake us, and that you you love us, and, and even in times where we don't understand everything that's going on, uh, you are right with us and that you are faithful. Lord, I just pray that uh, even this morning you would be that for me right now as I trust you, as I rely on you. Lord, speak through me. Lord, and, and just may this not fall on, on our ears and go in and out the other and not penetrate our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, <laughs> As I mentioned, this has been a, uh, a week of, of um, and maybe it's because sometimes when we don't teach every, uh, you know, every but once in a while, uh, the Lord just takes advantage of those opportunities of deep seeking. Because I, I do, when I, when I, wanna, uh, when I know I'm going to teach, when I, when I want to bring forth something that's, that's not from me and is from the Spirit, I spend a lot of time uh, in the presence of the Lord, and, and this was no exception. Uh, and there's an amazing thing that happens when you spend a lot of time in the presence of the Lord. And it's because he's faithful and he speaks to us. And he moves in us. And he, and he, and he, and he, and he highlights things in us and he, and, he, and he changes us because we spend time in his presence. It's no great mystery. You know, as, as I've watched God unfold in the work that he's doing in our church, I, I don't think it's any great mystery that as we fast and we pray and we seek him and we spend time in his presence that that we're moved, that he, that he changes us, and that he guides us and directs us. You know, we live in a great time of distraction. You, you, you and I know uh, what that's like. Uh, I, I've quoted before some of the statistics that just blow my mind. How, how is it that as a, uh, as a nation, we, we work full-time jobs and then almost spend another full-time set of hours in front of media every single week? Average American, 32 hours of television a week. And that's, uh, and that's without commercials, because we can watch it on Netflix now and just you know, power through, binge watch. But that's a lot of time. It's a full-time job we do entertaining ourselves. And, and that's our culture. And so there's a lot of distraction. It's no wonder that those moments that we just really pour in and, and seek him, uh, that there's moments of clarity, there's moments of understanding. And the Lord's been doing a work in, in me in the last few months and years. Um, and, he, and he's really, my heart is to, is to follow him. My heart is to, is to seek after him with all that I am. And it wasn't always that way. 
I don't want to belabor on that too much. We'll, we'll get into, into more uh, details. I know how I want to start today, and I know how I want to end today. How we get there in between is, is, is what I'm trusting the Lord for. You know, if I were to share with you uh, everything that the Lord has put on my heart this week, we'd be here for three hours, and that's just not practical. As it is, I have uh, enough notes here and enough direction that, uh, that I, I, I feel like I, I don't want to short uh, uh, or, or shorten what the Lord would speak, so I'm just asking him for direction as we go this morning. Kind of got a late start. Um, first of all, good morning. <laughs> Looking at my notes here, and, and uh, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, as, I, as I look out, it's, it's kind of neat to see. Um, just uh, even though uh, we're short a few families this week, um, I'm sure that's nice for the children's ministry staff. You know, when the uh, Olker family and the Mapes family are both gone, yes, my wife is not here. Uh, she's here in spirit. I wish she was uh, here, but she is visiting her family. Uh, that, uh, that suddenly the burden on the children's ministry becomes quite a bit less. Uh, and uh, and I, I think it's funny as I look out here and there's plenty of room, you know, as we talk about growth problems and, and things that happen, there's, there's normally after we get, you know, get to the point in the service where we dismiss all the kids, I look out here and I've got, man, we've got a lot of room to grow. And then I go back there and I say, no, we don't. We've got to figure something out. So, um, but it is a joy that you're here. I believe, uh, you know, that you're here for a reason. It's, uh, God has brought you here uh, today. And I, I just hope that what, uh, what he speaks through me will be a blessing to you. Um, I don't normally get to uh, or, or have the opportunity to preach out of the Old Testament and teach out of the Old Testament. Uh, I think I've taught out of the Psalms maybe one time previously, uh, I've, uh, but I've increasingly grown to appreciate it uh, and the opportunity to, to really dig into the Old Testament during, during recent years. I, 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 just speaking of fasts, I remember one fast and we just happened to be reading through the Old Testament as a, uh, as a body. And, uh, and man, that was rich and powerful. And, and even after we were done, I went back and I, and I went through it again. And there's so much to glean from the Old Testament. It, it's, not, uh, it's not that there's not stuff there for today. In fact, all of the New Testament is, is built upon uh, the Old Testament. And in fact, uh, Paul and Jesus and so many of the New Testament writers quote extensively uh, from some of the areas where I spent time this week. How do I know that? Well, because I, I spent a lot of time reading the New Testament as well. And, and as, I, as I read through, I'm like, wow, Jesus quotes that. Paul quotes that. There, this is so rich. And it makes a lot of sense because given at the time, the, the primary scripture they had was the Old Testament. They didn't have yet the Gospels. They didn't have Acts. Those were being lived out. Those were being, you know, the Holy Spirit was, we were watching the church being formed. And so all these things that we have today, the Paul's epistles, all, uh, what they had was the law and the prophets and the Psalms. And yet in it all, Jesus said, it all points to me. You know, in, in some of his discussions with the religious leaders, with, with those who wanted to follow him, he always, he always spoke, if you, if you understand and you, and you look and you read, you'll see that it's all pointing to me. And so it is relevant for today. And so I found a great joy in being able to go back and discover that for myself. There's an amazing amount of scripture in the Psalms that is prophetic. I don't know how many of you know that. I, I didn't know that until later in, in life. And it's forward pointing to Christ. In the past few years, my appreciation and desire for reading it has grown immensely. Uh, so I look forward to more opportunities to, to teach from it. We'll start with today. 
In saying that, I've also wrestled with precisely what to teach. It's interesting, a lot of my notes today aren't written out, but I wrote this introduction because it was so fresh in my mind. Going back and forth with with where to go today, and I have to be honest, if I were to stand here and preach everything is on my heart, we would probably be here three hours or more. There's much that the Holy Spirit has put on my heart that I've been wrestling with, personally, not even... Not even necessarily for for you or for for our church, but even just things that the Lord is dealing with in me. And he's so good. God is so good. If you don't take anything else away from today, he's good and he's faithful. And so I'm going to share with you just a little bit of that wrestle. What he's placed on my heart and my, you know, I get to share that with my family and my friends and also my co-laborers in the faith. You know, how awesome is that, that we are all those things? We don't just come together, and this isn't just a meeting, so we go out from here and we, we have a set of to-do lists and things that we run out to do as co-laborers. We're also friends and we're family. And the Lord has made that very, very real to me. I have many things written out, uh, but who knows, maybe the Holy Spirit will take it in another direction entirely, and, and that's his his right to do, and I just want to be a vessel this morning. I want him to have that freedom. Every time I get up and I, and I teach, I want him to have that freedom. And actually, that's part of the wrestle, is learning to rely on him. That's a wrestle for me. I would much rather have everything perfectly aligned and, 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 and written out and know exactly, exactly every word that's going to be spoken, and, and yet sometimes I've, I'm learning to relinquish control. Learning to trust him. Learning to listen to him and hear his voice. That's one of the things I've, I've just been seeking so much after the Lord. Is I just want to hear his voice and to know him. You know, current and recent events from the past few years in our nation and world make this an easy and timely psalm to teach from today, in theory. And I, if I were to simply stick to that alone, uh, it, would easy, it would be easy to have an entire sermon devoted to examining David's circumstances and observing his responses and God's intervention and then admonishing us to press into Jesus. And I am going to do that. It would indeed be a, a continuation and an exhortation from Blaine's sermon two weeks ago or, or Adam's last week or Fred's teaching from this Wednesday. I don't know about you, but I've gleaned a lot from these past few weeks as we've spent time in the Psalms, examining David's life and his struggles, talking about persecution and God's faithfulness. And I am not abandoning that today. We're going to explore that today. And as we look at this passage and the events surrounding it, there's a lot there. There's not very many verses, but there's a lot going on. And I don't want to miss the opportunity for what God would reinforce today and teach us today from Psalm 56. Yet as I engaged the text looking for exactly what to draw out and what to bring, the Lord was also working some additional things in my heart. Things I believe are for this church, for this time, and for this season. You know, it is our tendency at times to even over-examine a text if that's possible to do. Looking for minutiae of detail, 
to try to bring new revelation um, or some new knowledge, some, something that's going to give us the answer about, wow, I finally get it now, I'm, I'm, this, this, this makes the difference. And, uh, and sometimes we, you know, we, we see that in, in our teaching, uh, and I think it's largely cultural. It's the nature of the society we live in in, in Western culture. Uh, our, our thirst is for knowledge. Our thirst is for knowing something that others do not. Uh, or somehow finding secret meaning. We could take and expound upon Paul's letters far beyond what he expounds upon himself. And then we craft deep and implicate and complex theologies. And then we study them some more. And we create complicated words that no one else really even understands. And then we use them and drop them into our theological discussions or sermons and, and even debates. And sometimes it seems we miss the truth and beauty and simplicity of the gospel that comes from a simple reading of the text and the, and the contextual bigger picture of what is taking place. Today, I, I may do a little bit of the opposite. I'm not going to look at all the minutia that I might normally when I teach. In fact, I'm going to uh, take the liberty I feel the Spirit has given to look at this text uh, and even some of the others that have come before it or the leading up to it. You, you know, if, uh, they always ask me, what's the title of your message? So uh, I'm going to give a title, uh, and, and it's a loose title because, um, because I think that the Lord might... might speak some things to us, but confidence or trust in God in the time of danger. That's really the theme of this psalm. If we, if we look at it and we, and we were to break it down, it's, it's confidence or trust in God in the time of danger. And I know you're already there. You're probably waiting for me to finally get to Psalm 56. So let's, let's read it together. For the director of music to the tune of a dove on distant oaks of David, when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long they twist my words, all their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. Record my misery, list my tears on your scroll, are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid, what can man do to me? I am under vows to you, my God, I will... Present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. It's powerful. And I think you would agree that 
This is right in line with the last several weeks. I, I, you know, I, I've got to believe that in God's sovereignty, as we looked at what to do in this season, as we were drawn to the Psalms, um, that God has something that he wants to speak to us. And I believe he has. I don't know about, about you, but I can say I've been blessed by the teachings that have come from this pulpit the last few weeks. I've been blessed by the Psalms. I've been blessed by what God has, has, has taught me through Blaine's heart, and what he showed Blaine and, and Adam and these others, Fred and Kenny and all those that, that, have, that have taken time on either a Sunday or a Wednesday to go through uh, this, this wonderful set of, of scriptures. You know, I'm going to read another psalm to you today, and, and the reason why is because Psalm 56 and Psalm 34 actually are, are, are from the same time frame. They're from the same events that are going on in David's life. And we're going to examine that because, as I said, I want to, I want to look at this in the context. So you could turn to Psalm 34. I think we might have it on the screen as well. But David writes in Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Keep your tongue from evil. Your, oh, we did that. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Amen. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off their memory, uh, the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That is an amazing, amazing set of scripture. I'm going to read, and, 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 uh, and actually, DJ, you don't need to put this up on the, on the screen. I'm just, going to, I'm just going to read. I think it's important that we have an understanding. Uh, you know, in, in this particular two set of Psalms, uh, we are told exactly what is going on. In David's life, we we actually can turn and we can and we can walk through in in First Samuel, 
chapter 21, the exact circumstances that, that David is, is writing about. And while it's not necessarily clear, uh, you, know, it, you know, how far beyond these moments is David writing? Is it right in the middle? Is it, is it his reflection? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know that it matters. What I do know is that, it, is that it's, it's David sharing with us uh, his faith and trust in God based on on the experiences that he's surrounded by and the struggles that he's going through. In 1 Samuel 21, uh, we, we pick up in verse 10, and, and uh, I'm just going to read this real quick. And David rose and fled that day from Saul, went to uh, Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Now, mind you, Saul was actually still the king of the land, but apparently uh, the, the fact that David was the anointed king, the one to come, had already reached their ears. They knew this. A lot of David's persecution, what, what, he is, what he's going through, what he's walking through, is, is actually the result uh, of the fact that God has, has turned away from Saul and he's found favor in David. And a lot of what David is dealing with is persecution. And I think Adam brought it up, but persecution from somebody that he loves. Somebody who, who, uh, who it, this is his father-in-law. He's, he's married to Michael, the king's daughter. This is close to him. You know, a lot of what we read in David, a lot of what we, what we see is, is betrayal. We see him betrayed by those who he's close to. And I think that that you know, hurts a lot more than when we're betrayed by our enemies. We, ex we expect that from our enemies. We expect that from those who hate us and, and have enmity to us and are, 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 are wanting to seek our demise. But it's a whole other thing to be persecuted by those who, who we're close to. And so they go on. Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Isn't this that man? And David took these words to heart and, as much, uh, and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And then it goes on to say, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Agilom. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and, be and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. You know, as I read that, I'm thinking of David and, and his band of misfits. You know, listen to the description. Those who were in debt, bitter in soul, in distress, they all came to him and he became their commander. And as I mentioned before, a lot of what we see in Scripture points forward. And especially what we read about, about David, and, and as it should. We know that Jesus came from the house of David. And so much of what we see described in, in the Psalms is a great picture. And it's not, I mean, this is very real. This is what's happening in David's life. I just love the parallel that we see there of Jesus as he came. And, and, and you know, this comes at a time when, when David is being pressed on all sides. And there came a time where Jesus was being pressed on all sides. You know, there were times where Jesus wanted to not be noticed, and yet he couldn't. 
There were times where he said, don't, uh, you know, don't do this, don't say this, my time has not yet come. And yet people went out and they proclaimed what he was doing. And so it got to the point where at times he could only be in the outskirts. You know, he had to find uh, the ability to, to escape the crowds. And there were times where his life was sought. Many times where his life was sought. And yet because it was not his time, uh, that didn't happen. But he was under constant pressure. And the thing that I, that I love about Jesus was that it was always righteous. He did no wrong. Yet, we see that those who came to him and those who surrounded him were not those who thought they were well. He said, you know, I, I, I didn't come for those who were well. I came for the sick. It was the downtrodden. It was those who were in debt, those who were bitter in soul, who gathered to him. He didn't go and grab all the best teachers of the day and say, come, I'm going to teach you something new and you're going to disperse this uh, across the world. He, he in, in a way, kind of had his own band of misfits. We see that. We see that the multiple failures that these men had. We see that they weren't the most learned men. In fact, it shocked sometimes when they, when they were used by, uh, by God because they would be, who are, aren't these, you know, who are these men? Aren't they unlearned? Where did they get this teaching? Where did they get this knowledge? You know, God takes great pleasure in using the weak things of the world. And so I just, that's not really the point of, of what I wanted to, you know, to bring out today. But I just found that parallel amazing and, and, and comforting. You know, to this day, you and I are in debt. And we see and we look around and, and, and we see many, and, and including us, who might be bitter in, sto- in soul and, and in distress. And we gather around him and we find peace in him. I just think that's an incredible, incredible testimony. This psalm embraces five points, really. If you were to break it down, it, you could easily look at it in these in these, in these sections, there's the earnest prayer for the divine intervention in behalf of David. There's an expression of his trust in God in times of danger. And indeed, this really kind of becomes the theme of this psalm, as we talked about before. There's a description of his enemies, their, their words towards him, their evil thoughts against him of their conspiring and, and gathering together, plotting his demise. They're watching his steps. They're lying in wait for his life. Number four, there's this, his expression of a confident belief that they would not escape by their iniquity. That God knew all his wanderings and that God remembered his tears. In the version that I read from in the ESV, it talked about writing it in a scroll, but in uh, other versions it talks about put them in his bottle. And that his enemies would know that God was with him. He's confident that God is, is watchful and is seeing everything going on and recording for all of time every difficulty, every strife that David walks through. His entire trust is in God. That's the last section. And his firm assurance that he would yet be kept from falling and would walk before God in the light of the living. You know, sometimes we 
paint David as a bit emotionally raw or unstable. At the very least, sometimes we might jokingly call him bipolar or other things, and, and I've, I've done that too. But in preparing for today, the Holy Spirit took me back into 1 Samuel, the contents of which have certainly uh, <clears throat> had an impact on today's sermon. I read from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 31. And in that stretch covered the birth and calling of Samuel, the, the falling short of Eli's house and his sons and their eventual death, the desire for the people for a king, the anointing of Saul, the, the falling of Saul, the anointing of David, the betrayal and strife, the eventual death of Saul and the fulfillment of God's promise to David. There's a lot there. But I want to focus on a couple of areas that I believe are relevant for today. And for us, and certainly for me. Perhaps for you too. The one thing that I, I want you to see and that I think is quite relevant to today is that uh, people are gripped by fear. You know, fear is a powerful powerful activity in our life. It, there's fear that directs. There's fear that detours. There's, there's different types of fear that we deal with. You know, we see David in this season, in this time, and he's dealing with a very active fear. You know, I think sometimes it's maybe hard for us to understand when we read David's writings, but when you go back and you read everything that's going on, this is the second time Saul has tried to kill him. This is the second time that, 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 that Saul has, has, has devised a plan or thrown a spear, tried to pin David against a wall, devised a plan to send assassins to kill him. He's been emotionally ripped apart from his best friend, and when you read the account of David and Jonathan, it's incredible. The deep love that they had for one another, the deep love and connection that, that they had, and, and Jonathan, uh, Jonathan being Saul's son, didn't want to believe that his father was trying to kill David, and yet he has to come to that very realization, and, and he's the one that tells David, go, go, my dad's trying to kill you, Go. Some of the best movies I've ever watched or seen don't have a plot that stands... I mean, this is, this is, this is amazing. This, this life that we see of David, this, this, this interaction with Saul, all of these things that are happening. It's powerful. David is... You know, uh, you read about David and the, and the incident with Goliath. You know, David was no weakling. David was no man who lacked faith and confidence. And yet the very real thing that we can draw from this is that David still wrestled with fear. I believe you and I wrestle with fear on a regular basis, whether we realize it or whether we don't. David's fear was active. And maybe that's why it's, it's kind of hard for us to understand sometimes. Maybe that's why when we look at this and we see David's pleading, we, we don't always identify it in, this, in the same way. Maybe it's why we don't identify it in the same way as, 
as maybe our brothers and sisters who are halfway across the world, who are being persecuted and beheaded for, and, and chased down for faith in Christ. This is, this is David's life at this season. And we know from reading on in David's history and what was going on at this time that David, this wasn't the only uh, set of trials that David would face. But, but the thing that's amazing was David was, uh, was God's man. Incredible man, a man of righteousness. He was not suffering because of unrighteousness. He was not suffering uh, because he was constantly uh, outside uh, God's will or, or doing something evil like we saw with, with Samuel, uh, not with Samuel, with, uh, with Eli's sons, for example. Even Samuel's sons walked away from the way that God called them to walk. But this wasn't David in this season. And we know. We know David struggled with sin. We know David suffered consequence from sin. But this point in David's life, he's being persecuted because of his righteousness. He's actually also being persecuted because of fear. You know, the thing about reading 1 Samuel and going through and watching the two paths between God's first two anointed... There was Saul, the first king who was anointed, and then there was David. At this point in time, both of these men, a lot of their decisions are being based from the fear that they are experiencing in the circumstances. But their response is vastly different. And you know, that's really the, you know, one of the things that the Lord was, was showing me as I prepared for this, as, as you know, we hear so often, David, a man after God's own heart, and we'll talk about that. But how many times it reads that Saul was afraid of David. He saw the anointing. He saw the things that David did. And and let me be clear, David didn't just do those things. He saw the anointing of God on David and the results of that. And there was a time in Saul's life where he had the anointing of God. You know, as you read that story, it's, it's interesting to hear the words and the description that's used. It said that that Saul was anointed, and on the day that he was anointed, his heart changed. God did a work in him. The Spirit of God came upon him, and Saul's heart was transformed. But as we also well know, Saul had an obedience problem. Saul had a desire to do things Saul's way. And ultimately, Saul's downfall was brought about by his desire to do things the way that he saw fit, not God. God would give him instructions and sometimes Saul would partially fulfill those. But Saul also liked to take things into his own hands and do it his own way. When we see the effects of that, it's devastating when the Spirit of God leaves Saul. It's devastating. We contrast that to David, a man who also was anointed, a man who also knew what it was like to have the Spirit of God. Saul was uncomfortable 
with his consequences. Saul was uncomfortable and made excuses for why he did what he did. But at the end of the day, Saul did not have a heart that wanted to follow God. David made mistakes. We know that. David struggled with fear. But David had a different heart. When David was in sin, David sought repentance. When Saul was in sin, he sought relief from his circumstances. And there's a big difference between those two. We see in Acts 13, 22, it says, And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will, or who will do what I want him to do. God recognized that Saul was not going to and would never do what he wanted him to do. You know, when David being a, a man after God's heart didn't mean that David didn't sin, didn't mean that David was, was perfect, didn't mean that David is the example that we follow in all things. We see things in David's life that we can, we can look at and say clearly there were, there were failures. And in the depths of some of the deepest despair that David walks through, we have those beautiful words recorded, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit in me. Two different men. Two different responses. And so we see the culmination of what has come out of that. We see Saul... In his fear, absolutely determined and, 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 and um, will go to any length to take out his threat. He sees David as his threat, even though David repeatedly, repeatedly tells him, I'm not against you. Saul was afraid when he saw God working through David. Saul was afraid when he saw David's conquests and the things that, that David accomplished. Saul was jealous of that song that said, Saul, his thousands, David, his ten thousands. And that jealousy and that fear drove Saul into rage. We also know that when the Spirit of God left Saul, that an evil spirit came and tormented him. There was a time where David was relied upon to come in and to, and to play the lyre, the harp, and that it would soothe Saul. But Saul was extremely troubled, and, and as the more God's hand was upon David, the more Saul's fear and anger burned. You and I know when we read those accounts that there were many opportunities for David to end his own fear, if that had been what he wanted to do. We know that David had multiple opportunities to slay Saul, and did everything he could 
in those moments to show Saul that he was not his enemy. And yet Saul continued to pursue him until the day of his death. David never found confidence in coming back. I want you to think about that for a moment because this is David's life. David is driven from comfort. David is driven into a place where he's constantly pursued. He's pressed from all sides. He cannot go home. You know, this, this section that we read here after he writes this psalm, what, he, what he's done is he's gone to the Philistines, the same ones that the Israelites were in battle, the same ones whose champion he killed, Goliath, and took his sword. He's now trying to seek refuge with them because he has nowhere else to go. And what David learns through this process, and what I hope you and I can learn through this process, is that David does not find his solace in any of his circumstances. And he doesn't find it in people. He doesn't find it. He can't go home. He has the inability to go home. Maybe we're family. Maybe we're friends. Can provide comfort. They can no longer. It's not safe. He's driven from his home. He's a wanderer. Yet the hand of God is on him and with him the whole time. He can't go to the Philistines. Because even though. They're an enemy of the Israelites. And right now David is an enemy of Saul. They even fear him. He can't find refuge in men or circumstances. David, in his fear, is driven to one place and one place alone his trust in God. Fear is a powerful motivator, one way or another. We can see here that for Saul, it drove him to do things that we would look at and, and shake our heads. But you know, we've done sometimes the same things. When we don't trust in God and we allow fear to be our motivator, it leads us to make decisions and to do things that we wouldn't normally do. Maybe that's not the right way to put it. Maybe that is what we would normally do. But God. David understood and had confidence in God. Saul had no confidence. David pursued God in his fear. We see that clearly. Saul pursued his own means as he always had. You know, fear can be a, a funny thing. David is dealing with active fear, and maybe that's sometimes why it's hard for us to understand. We, we see the circumstances. We under, understand David is running, but, but we live in a different time. We live in a different culture. We live in, in different circumstances. Yet we make a surprising number of decisions that when we look back on them and we can see them, we can see that they're motivated by fear. How can I... How can I know that? How can I say that? Because I've had to come face to face with that in my own life. It's very real. A few months ago when I, when I spoke, I asked you a question. What would you be doing right now? This moment, your life, what would it look like if you lived in full confidence of God and lived without fear? What would that look like? Would it look like it does right now, this moment? I can answer for me, the, the answer is no. I'll get more to that. 
You know, in 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul is talking with Timothy and, he sa- uh, Timothy, and he says, For God gave us a spirit, not of timidity and cowardice or fear, but of power and of love and self-control. That is only something that we can walk in and do by the Spirit of God. I want you to understand, fear is normal. It is something that, has, that is a part of our human existence. We know fear. The question is, what do we do when we're afraid? Where do we turn? And more importantly, who do we turn to? Or what do we turn to? You know, in John 16, he's sharing a lot of things with the disciples. And I, I've got to tell you, if it were me uh, or you, and, and it was Jesus telling us those things, I imagine we would be afraid. It's not all, uh, hey, I'm coming back and I'm conquering uh, and, and we're getting rid of the Romans and you're, everything that you've ever wanted and desired and thought you know, that was going to come true is going to happen. No, he tells them of some difficult things that are coming ahead. And then he goes on to tell them in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I am convinced that if we, if we like David can take that to heart, if we can become fully convinced that God is in control, that he has overcome the world, that that is a life-changing thing. You know, Paul knew this all too well. As, as God called Saul, Paul, as he met him on the road to Damascus and called him, one of the things that were clearly showed is that, that Paul would have to suffer for the name of Christ. And indeed, we see many times written through Scripture, Jesus admonishes us that we too, if we are going to follow him, notice that doesn't say if you believe in me, if you believe uh, that I exist, the demons believe that he exists. He says, if you follow me, then they will hate you too. Because they've hated me first. And a servant is not greater than his master. Now that does not mean that we walk around with a persecution complex. And it doesn't mean that we go looking for persecution and ways in which we're being persecuted. So that we can dwell and wallow in our persecution. It means that if we follow Jesus. And, and, and Paul again and Timothy in the same uh, section of scripture tells him, look. All who desire, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will face persecution. That's just something we need to come to terms with. Now for people who fear, that can be a problem. But then he goes on again to say, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but a power of love and self-control. We don't have to walk in fear when we come to an understanding and a belief that Jesus is always fully in control. We don't have to walk in fear when we know the outcome of what God has destined for us. You see, that was Paul all the time. You know, we, I was talking with, uh, with Matt yesterday. He came over to my house and we were just talking a little bit about, uh, about Paul's life. 
You know, Paul faced a lot of trouble. <laughs> we know that. You read his letters, he's going from place to place. You read Acts, he's chased from town to town. And at first, uh, you know, there's God's doing some amazing things. But it doesn't take long for when God's doing amazing things for persecution to follow. And everywhere Paul goes for most of his ministry, it's followed by suffering and it's followed by persecution. So much so that he's stoned, he's dragged outside the city and left for dead. He, they think he's dead. He's lifeless. And I love, there's this one section where God comes and, and speaks to Paul, the Holy Spirit speaks to Paul, and he says, don't be afraid. No one in this, I have many people in the city, no one's going to lay a hand on you, you just do what I've called you to do. And I was telling Matt, I've, I've got to believe Paul was like, yes! Finally! I've got a season. Lord, how long can we stretch this one out? I'd like to stay here for a few years. No persecution for, for a while, at least not, not death. There, no one's going to lay a hand on him to harm him, God said. But that became the exception, not the rule for Paul. Paul faced persecution wherever he went. You know, I see the time is ticking away. I told you if I wanted to speak all the things that God has put on my heart, we would be here far too long. So I want to bring this back around and I want to, uh, to personalize it a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about our church. I want to talk a little bit about what God has been speaking to me. Uh, you know, we live in interesting times. I don't think there's any question about that. There's a lot, there's a lot of fear going around right now. It's rampant. In fact, the, the, the greatest kind of political you know, discourse right now on, on social media and in the media is all about which side is, is operating the most out of fear. Right? Each one's accusing the other side of operating out of fear. And in truth, they're both right because that's what we tend to do. We tend to operate out of fear. And I will tell you that there is much to be afraid of. Those fears are warranted. We have seen some things that are, are unprecedented in the last century. We've also seen some incredible things, and it should encourage us. You know, when we, when we read in Scripture and, and Jesus says, you see these things happening, don't, don't shrink back, don't be afraid. He says, lift your head, for your redemption draws near. If we are living like David, if we are living like Paul... If we have confidence in Jesus, then come what may, our heads will be lifted up. Our redemption draws near. And whether by his coming or by our death, Paul understood this. He said, if I die, what, is that? what can man do to me? To die is gain. Man, I get to be, I'm, I'm done with this suffering. I'm done with this, you know, with this pain and this agony that I walk through. I'm done with this sinful nature that I fight against every day. And I'm in the arms of Jesus He's like, bring it. I mean, I'm ready any time. He said, but for your sake, I understand that for a season to live as Christ, it's, it's, it's my purpose. It's what I'm here for. But as we look around and we see, it is my desire that you would look around and that you would see what is going on. And I'm not trying to, don't, don't read into, this is not a, I'm trying to set a date and tell you that, that, that Jesus, I am telling you what Jesus tells us to live by. He tells us to watch and to be ready. He tells us to live daily 
like the servant who is busy, ready for his master's return. You know, when you look at the teaching of Jesus, there's so much admonition to watch, to watch, to watch, to watch. I don't think it's any misunderstanding on the disciples' part at all. That as they looked forward, most of them believed that he was returning in their lifetime. He, they believed he was coming back. They looked around and they saw what was going on around him. They saw what was going on at Jerusalem. And, and they, were, they were convinced that Jesus was coming back. And they lived sacrificial lives, partially because they were convinced of this. You know, I've taught on Matthew 24, on the, imminent of doc, uh, of, uh, of the doctrine of imminent return. I've spoken on that before. You know, but there's a reason Jesus gives us that example in Matthew 24 of that servant. You know, when we read about that servant and we see uh, what happens when we take our eyes and our focus off of, off of him, off of his return. He says, keep your eyes on me. Live this way. Live your entire existence this way. He says, it's when you take your eyes off of me that these things begin to happen. You begin to pay more attention to what is going on in the world. You become worldly. You start to carouse. You start to become carnal in your nature. Because you, you allow this thought to enter your mind that says, my master is delayed. That's the genesis of what we see happen to that servant. My master is delayed. And so one of the things that I just want to exhort you in is that we wouldn't look around trying to determine signs and seasons and dates and everything else. That we would not allow, though, that, that thing to come into our mind that says, my master is delayed. He calls that servant a wicked servant because of the results, but that starts with that thought. And we do live in times that might bring fear. So we look around, uh, you know, we're, you can't vote for Trump because this will happen. You can't vote for Hillary because this will happen. You can't vote for Gary Johnson because this will happen. Look, we're, we're in a situation, you know, we're in a rock and a hard place. But the question is, what do we do with that? How does that control what we do or how we respond? And more importantly, who do we run to in that moment? You know, I would love to sit and tell you that, that, uh, that God wants America great again, but I don't know that that is true. I don't know that that's what God wants. I do know this. God wants us to trust him. He wants us to put our faith in him. He wants us not to walk and to make decisions out of fear. God is faithful. We've talked about it many times, and this is, these are the two main points that I draw from the psalm and from the teaching that we've, that we've looked at the last few weeks, is that God is faithful. He is faithful. David, when he is struggling, when he doesn't know what to do, when he's in fear, what does he do? He turns to God. He turns to God and he recounts the faithfulness of God again and again and again and again. And I can attest to that faithfulness as well. God has been faithful and so his past faithfulness demands our present trust. You've heard us say that again uh, as well. But it's true. We need to continue to exhort one another in God's faithfulness. It is easy to fall into the trap of fear. It is easy to make decisions that are, that are or not make decisions 
based out of fear. More about that in a second. But God is faithful. We've been through a lot in this season as a church and as a family. A lot. And God is continuing to work out his purposes in each of us individually and each of us as a church. But the reason I'm so passionate and I will continue to preach the soon coming return of Jesus is because I believe that it's true and I believe that that, you know, when we look and we see what God is doing and what he has done, it's been an amazing hundred years of history. We've seen calamities like we've never maybe seen before, atrocities. We can look at the Holocaust, the world wars, but we've also seen the expansion and the explosion of the gospel that is nothing short of biblical. We've seen Israel come back into being, and, and I, I could tell you things, and I don't want to tell you them, because I don't want you to make motivations out of fear, but I understand, I, I don't know, the Lord has just spoken to me, I don't know if he's put me in a position to, you know, to see things. I, I read an article this week that said, man will never get to Mars. I thought, oh, that's kind of an interesting title, you know, it's kind of clickbait, I'm going I'm to click on that and read that. What do they mean man will never get to Mars? And, and, the, and the meat of the, of, the, of the article had nothing to do with, with whether or not uh, technically we could, we could achieve it. The article was this. Human beings will never make it to Mars. I thought, that's interesting. But as I read and I understood what he was saying, he was saying, look, science is approaching boundaries and things that, that, that are, are questioning the very question of what does it mean to be human we see that I see that in the world that I live in all the time in technology implants that, that you could put into your, uh, into your head to and, and you know as a kid I heard you know all these future things and, and it was like it was all just science fiction the, the crazy thing is in the last 30 years things that we once thought were science fiction are becoming reality implants that you could, you could put in your head and you could surf the internet by your thought you could have a 24-hour wired access. Think, of the, think about the, the amount of time that we spend in front of media as it is and the things that we access. Uh, imagine what you could access in the privacy of your own mind 24-7, anytime you wanted, with no supervision, nothing other than just your own desire and your own lust and your own distraction and entertainment. This wicked heart that we reference so often that God warns us of. Imagine uh, the ability to do things like that. Imagine the ability to, uh, to take and, and, and create new species, if you will, of human that are, that are, uh, you know, are based on, on, on humanity, that are mixed with other traits and, and genetic entanglement that just creates, hey, we want to create longevity and things that, that could never be done before, but we can do them by, by, by messing around with the very building blocks of life. Now, I've got to tell you something. I don't believe God will allow that to happen. But that is also why I believe we're at a pivotal moment in history, in addition to all these things and all these signs that we see, we're getting to the place where as humans we're crossing boundaries. And there was a time where that happened in the scripture. And I believe all of scripture is, is written that this is, a, this is God's story and his plan unfolding. But you guys remember a little time in scripture when man thought he was all of that. And he started to construct something. 
And God said, I'm going I'm to confuse his language because if he thinks he can do this, there will be nothing that's impossible for him to achieve. You see, God is, is not uh, going to allow us to subvert his plan, period. His timing is perfect. And I believe that it draws near. And it's not just because of these things. I don't tell you those things to, to, to bring more fear to a situation. If anything, I, I tell you those things because I say, lift up your head. Look to your coming king. He is coming. We should be excited that the gospel is going places it has never gone before. But even in that, the Lord has been speaking words to my heart. And I will end with this. Two years ago, God did some incredible things in us in, in a time of, of prayer and fasting. And as I labored with men who I love and who I uh, believe God has placed in, in my life and in this season and in this church. And we labored in prayer and the Holy Spirit began to lead us and direct us and guide us into, into things we had never done before. And, and, uh, and I grew up my entire life in the church. As Rory talked about, this is in my blood. <laughs> you know, uh, I have a grandfather who most of you don't know. But in Brazil, two million people heard the gospel because of his faithfulness to preach it. And I don't mean, not that millions heard it. Two million responded to the gospel directly. And out of that, numerous, numerous churches have been planted. If you look up the growth of evangelicalism in Brazil, you will see that God has mightily used men these men to do some incredible uh, things. And it's the work of the Spirit. It's not these men. It's the work of the Spirit. But he's enabled them to preach the gospel to hundreds of thousands at a time. And many have come to Christ. And it has made an impact and a change on, the, on that nation and on the world. And the interesting part of that story, which I won't tell today. I love to tell it. But it started with a 12-year-old boy who ran away from home because he wanted to be a sailor. And his parents didn't want him to be. God got a hold of him later in his life. And he said, I don't miss. He said, yeah, I, God, you picked the wrong man. He says, I don't miss. When I pick my man, it's, it's the one that I've chosen. He was unlearned, uneducated, much like the men that we read about in Scripture, much like many of you and I probably feel in some of these matters. But God used him mightily, not because he was gifted and not because he was skilled, because he was he was willing and because he was a man after God's heart. Just like David, God looks for men and he says, will they do what I want them to do? That's the man that's after my heart, not the perfect man. We know that David wasn't a perfect man. We know that you and I are not perfect. In fact, that should, that should give us a lot of comfort that David wasn't a perfect man, that, that, that the scripture doesn't paint a picture of a man that you and I can never live up to in terms of our expectation, in terms of our, uh, of, of our goals about how we want to live. But when we look at David, may we want to also desire to be a man or a woman that God looks down and says, that's a person after my heart. And so, as a church, God began to share his heart with us. He began to point us in a direction. And he took us to the country of Nepal. And that was not by coincidence. And there was a lot of great things that happened in that first trip. But one of the most important things that happened in that trip is that as, as our eyes were opened, 
Our eyes were open to something that God wanted to show us. And as I mentioned before, I grew up in church. I've been a part of a lot of great churches, big churches, large churches, lots of people, lots of missions programs, lots of things that, that on the surface look really good. And yet I had no clue and no, no uh, understanding of what was God was doing on the, on the earth. And I don't know why God awakens Sometimes the foolish things of this world, you know, the small things, the seemingly unimportant things. But for some reason, he chose this church and he, and he said, I'm going to awaken you to my heart. And week after week, we watch prayer cast videos and we, and we pray for these countries. And, and he's taken us overseas and, and, and that's been good. But one of the most powerful moments and that he opened our eyes is that he sat, we sat around together in the, in the last day of that trip. And, and even the night before, as Kevin and Rory and I gathered and... and just talked about and reflected on our experience there. And Rory called us all together and we sat in a room together and, and we looked at one another and he said, you can't let me go back to the way that I was. This forever changes where we go from here. You can't let me fall back into who I was. You can't let me slip back into passivity and I can't you either. And that was a powerful moment. And yet I have to admit, as, as time has gone on, there have been moments where I've, I've, I've had nothing but the, but the lost in Nepal on my mind, and I've had moments where it's not on my mind at all on some days. And how easy it is for us, in, outside of the, the, the experience of, the, of that moment, for us to, to fall back and to slip back into passivity. And you know, that's the danger of what happens when we live in comfort. And I'm not speaking against our culture, our nation, per se. But I am going to tell you that it's very, very difficult for you and I to relate to David, primarily because we haven't experienced what David has experienced. It's very hard for us to identify with those who are, who are, who are being persecuted for their faith physically because the most that we've been persecuted, for the most part, is largely just a few people hurting our feelings. And that's real persecution, don't hear me, but not all persecution is physical persecution. There is other persecution but I see it coming and you should too if you look at the things that are happening the ability to walk and to and to keep one foot on this side and the other foot on this side is coming to an end God is drawing lines and this is a very real thing there are entire denominations that have given over and said you know this definition of the of, of the word love even that we're going to we're going to use we're not going to we're not going to stand on what God says in terms of biblical, uh, uh, we're not going to answer what is love from a biblical perspective. We're going to answer it from a human perspective. And because we're going to do that, we're actually going to take the world's philosophy. And we're going to craft what we do as a church. And we're going to change what we do as a church. And we're going to change our theology. And we're going we're to we're adopt the world's view of love. And we're going to call it something that it's not. And that has happened. And I don't believe that there's going back from that but God. But that's also why I'm not sure that God is going to intervene. I'm not sure that God is going to make America great again, quote unquote. But I do know this. I do know that he's going to build his church. And that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know that. So my heart, my desire for this church is what does that mean for us? Where do we go from here? Where is the Lord taking us? And I go back to Nepal because for me, I felt like the Lord is showing us something. And yet I can even come to church week after week and watch these videos. And my heart is moved. But God is saying, now what? 
I've shown you. Now what? And as I pondered that question this week and as I read about David, the Lord confronted me in my own fear. You know, I asked that question to you. What would you be doing right now if fear were not a factor in your life? If fear were not a, a motivation, where would, what would you do right now? Where would you be? Where would God have you? What would you be doing? And that's not to say that God doesn't have you exactly where you're supposed to be. Don't, don't, don't hear and correct me. But there may be things that God wants to do in us that we've been resistant to because of fear. I can answer that question very personally because almost two years ago, as God was shifting our view and our, our heart, my wife, my family, myself, I sat and prayed preparing for a sermon just like this. And, and the same thing happened. God spoke so clearly to me. A change is coming for you, for your family. A change is coming. And I knew what that meant because I knew what he was laying on my heart. And yet, I struggled through that change. I struggled trusting him. And a lot of that is fear. You might say fear of what? I, I don't know. Fear of man? Fear of, of, of failure? Fear of not living up to the expectations even of my own family heritage and history? That I'd be compared to, to something that I'm not? I can't tell you all the reasons. But I can tell you that I have made decisions even in these last two years out of fear. And yet God is so faithful. Even if he was ready, I wasn't. And I could tell you just story after story of his faithfulness. But even now I find myself in a situation. I find myself in a situation where God has provided richly for my family. He's given us everything that we need right now. And as I sat and I pondered it, I've always had everything that I need. I've had more than I ever dreamed possible. And when I've seen and I've gone overseas and I've seen what they live, I realize that I've got far more than I ever, ever could use. You know, we always compare ourselves to others who have more. But when we compare ourselves to others who have less, God opens up our eyes. And I want to say that as a church, I believe he's also speaking to us as a body. What's next? I've shown you this. I've shared my heart with you. I've opened your eyes. You know, as we walk into these last days that we've been in since Jesus first walked on the earth, as we just see an, a changing environment in time, I don't know that God has made it a big mystery what we're to do. He set forth a plan in motion a long time ago that started with him coming and giving himself as a ransom for all men and then sending out this group of men and, and telling them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And I read things in scripture like with much that has been given much as required. And I read things like, pick up your cross and follow me daily. Deny yourself. Die to yourself. And thank, thank you, Lord, that you've, you've opened our eyes and, and, and begun to taught us how to do, and begun to teach us how to do that. 
But that's a daily thing, and I don't want to think that we've arrived. You know, we could very easily stop right now with everything that's gone on and, 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 and have experienced an incredible awakening from God, but it might just be that, just a stirring. You know, we used the R word a little bit sometimes. We called, look at, look at the revival God is doing in our church. But I wonder sometimes if we're a little premature to use that word. And maybe sometimes what we call revival is, is God stirring and we become so passive and we become so, so asleep that even a little bit of waking up feels like a lot. But the more that I've walked through this and the more that I've seen just the, the work that's ahead and the work that God is doing, I, I think there's more to it and I believe there's more God wants to do than just stir us up once in a while. He he wants our focus wholly on him. And if difficulty comes to this nation, then I say, allow that and, and put your faith and trust in God. I'm not telling you to be passive. I'm not telling you not to, not to vote. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm not telling you anything else. I'm saying, regardless of the outcome, what are we going to do and who are we going to turn to? David knew the answer to that question. Paul knew the answer to that question. And I believe in our minds we know the answer to that question, but my but I, but I wonder sometimes if we lack that confidence and that reassurance within our heart, within our spirit. And here's the thing, we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. I'm not asking you to do something that you, that you can't do because you can't do it. Had this conversation with Kevin a few minutes even before we, before we started. But, but Jesus says, look, this isn't, I'm not looking for you to do something that's apart from me. I'm asking you, and just like I asked David, just like I asked Paul, just like I asked every follower who I've said, come and follow me, I'm asking you to do something that you cannot do but me, but my spirit. So that question, and to personalize it for me, is what would I be doing right now? I think I probably would have already taken a trip or two to Nepal, apart from just what we're doing. And I'd be walking in the, th in the things that I feel like God is laying on my heart or has laid on my family's heart. Why have I not done that? I, I don't know. I believe that there are things that God has been wanting to work in us and in my family and that he has done in this season of difficulty. But I'm getting to the place where I feel like a lot of it is, is going to be a wrestle between what am I comfortable with and what am I willing to trust God in. You know, it's difficult in the midst of comfort to make decisions that, that take us out or put us in a place where we might have to experience a little bit of fear. You know, I, I don't normally do this. Um, <laughs> I'm going to just pull this up real quick. I, I searched a couple of things uh, out that I remember from my profile on Facebook. And back in 2014, I came across a, a, a quote. And I remember just writing down my thoughts, and this is probably very relevant to about the time uh, that we were going to Nepal. It says, if the church becomes our comfort zone, what we're used to, will we accept when God begins to move us out of the ordinary? Do we expect the extraordinary, and more importantly, do we really even want it? And there was a quote from R.T. Kendall that said, uh, I was reading a book called Sensitivity to the Spirit. It says, I believe that if that which is out of the ordinary happened in our church services regularly, people would have different reasons for going to the services. Of course, some wouldn't go at all. 
When an authentic demonstration of Jesus' authority takes place, the world takes notice and even notices when those who, quote, seem to be closest to Jesus are upset. I watched a movie that also uh, just contains some incredible uh, stories, but, I, but this one was from a man who's in, involved in, in rescuing people out of some of the persecuted nations uh, of the world where severe persecution is going on. Uh, and he reunites them with their family. And I want to read this for you because it, it's powerful. And it speaks directly to what I'm talking about, about this fear and this faith and confidence and trust in God. It says, our world is divided into two zones, the conflict zone and the comfort zone. The more you are in a conflict zone, the more the church is united, it's strong. The more you are in the comfort zone, the church doesn't care. It only cares about itself. They preach healing, prosperity, which is fair enough. It's good, and it's important. Jesus did promise healing in the Bible, and we believe in that. But what did you know, but did you know that he also promised persecution? Sometimes we we present a very one-sided gospel, and we leave out some of the most important parts. I don't know, honestly, how how to close this today, other than I'm going to call the worship team up and have them come forward. I believe that there are some who are here today, and I would, I would be foolish not to believe this, even though I look out here and I see a room full of my family and friends, to think that there are not some who are struggling with different aspects, not just of fear, But this idea of, of, of knowing the Spirit of God, of walking in the Spirit of God, the one who says, I can overcome all these things, the one that says, I give you the power to do this. I give you the power to walk even when you're afraid. I overcome your fear. I give you the confidence. I give you all these things, and yet we don't know him. And here's the thing. As I began to really press into Jesus, I understood when David said, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. As God began to renew a right spirit in me, I began to identify with David some incredible things. And I can remember walking around my home and praying and having a conversation with God as I walked through my neighborhood And I said to him, I understand now, God, I understand. I understand what it means to to know your spirit. And I want you to hear this not from from, from fear, but I understood that my fear, if you will, the greatest fear I could imagine happening was after knowing God's spirit to then for some reason have it no longer there. Now listen, that's not a fear that I, that I walk in. I'm not saying it from that perspective. I'm saying I came to the realization that that is so incredible and so real and so uh, that if that were ever to, be, to, to lose that, like I would be desperate. I wouldn't know what to do. Nothing else in this world could fill that void. And so I guess I just want to offer to you an opportunity today to pray with one another Maybe for the first time in a long time, you realize, I don't know God's spirit. 
like that. I want to. I believe in him. But I don't know him like that. Maybe you have known him and it's been a while since you feel like you've been close to his presence. Man, in, in all of this, may we not be like Saul who said, that's okay, I'll do it my own way. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would speak to us and we would have a heart that would do what God's will is. We'd have a heart that wants to follow him, a heart that wants to have a renewed and right spirit made within us. I know firsthand the damaging effects of sin and walking in bondage. I understand that sometimes we suffer not because we're righteous, but because we're unrighteous and we do evil things. And let's not kid ourselves and our suffering is, is, is a consequence and it's, it's a part of what happens. Sin brings death. But even in that, Jesus says, I bring life. There's nothing that you've done today. Not one person in this room has done something so wrong that, that God says, I don't love you and I don't want you. You know, Paul was convinced the same thing that I'm talking about. I read it in Paul's words when he's convinced that neither height nor depth nor, nor, nor death nor anything else, nothing, he says, can separate us from the love of God. And I believe that. And when we come into this relationship with him and where Christianity is no longer about what we do, but who he is and relationship with him, it changes everything. And I don't know where you're at today, but I just... I want to make a time and an opportunity for us as elders and as core group leaders to pray with you. I want to make room in the service for the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and to call us back to Him. I believe there's some that need that today, that you need healing and you need to know that Jesus loves you, that He loves you. Only the enemy would try to keep you from that. I believe that with all my heart. And second, I just want to make time to pray. And I'm going to include myself in that. Because I think that there are times where, just as we said, don't let me fall back into the way things were. Do not let my heart go back to the things that, that used to distract or I used to care about. Like, you've shown me, God, what's important, and yet it doesn't take much. Sometimes it takes a day, a week. Sometimes just a, a little bit of time where we just become so distracted and caught up. And pretty soon our heart becomes unsensitive, insensitive to what God is calling us to do. I don't want to walk in fear. I don't want that to be the primary motivator that, that, that is, is the reason why I make the decisions that I make. I want to trust God. Wherever that leads, wherever that takes me, wherever that takes my family, wherever that takes this church, I want us all to trust Him. We are heading into times where many are going to be deceived, and they already are. We see it. There is a great spirit of the Antichrist that is at work in our culture 
in our nation, even in some of our churches, if it were possible. A spirit that doesn't recognize Jesus and in fact a spirit in many areas of our culture and our society that wants to remove any reference to him. You know, I don't want to, to wax over the very real dangers that there are in this time and that Jesus warns us about. If you have kids in public school, which most of us do, that should at the very least concern us about how we disciple our children when they're at home. Some of us can't avoid that. Some of us, maybe we can, but we've never been willing to make the sacrifice. But I'm telling you that the world is changing and that we're in danger and our, and our kids are in danger if we are not the ones who are in control of their discipleship. What can we expect if we send them away for eight to 10 hours a day while we're at work and the philosophy that is gaining hold in this world is a philosophy that is indoctrinated into them day after day after day. It's perilous. But we trust him. We trust God. And that's not a passive trust. We act. We do what we, what we can and what we must for the sake of our kids, for the sake of the gospel. And as we look around, and I said, it's no great mystery what God is calling us to do. We're one of the most wealthy, resourceful nations on the face of the earth that has ever existed. And I know that there are months where you and I struggle from month to month to, to get there. But when we look at what we have and what we've been given, there is so much work left to be done. And we don't know how much, and we don't know how much time is left but that's not the question. That's not the answer. How much time do we have? That's, that's not the focus. The focus is that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We keep our eyes fixed on him, on, our, on his return. We watch, we work, we remind one another that he's coming back. We remind one another of faithfulness of God. We remind one another of the things that he's called us to and that he's, and that he's done in our life so that we continue to move forward. If you feel like there are decisions that you are making or have made or are in the decision of right now and, and, and you're lacking confidence and trust in God, may we just pray and encourage one another today. And I include myself in that. I'm going to be up here and, and I want you to pray with me. I need it. And I believe many of you are like me and you need it too. So as we close, I'd like the elders and core group leaders to come up front worship team I just want you guys to go ahead and, and play whatever the Lord has, has put on your heart to play I love that song that we sung earlier about there's no fear in love you know John tells us oh, I was going to read that let me read that real quick as we close in John 1 John 4 18 it says there is no fear in love right there's no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear. And there's only one who loves perfectly. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So when we fear, 
when we, when we walk in fear, when it controls what we do, when it controls the decisions we make or that we don't make, it's because we haven't been perfected in love. But praise God that he's working in us, that he's perfecting us. We love because he first loved us. He goes on to say some things about loving your brother and some admonishments. But it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. How do we know we've been born of God? We overcome the world. We love our brother. We do what Jesus did, which is to love our enemies. And you and I know that we need his spirit and power to do it. And how do we receive his spirit and power? We ask him. Jesus says, if you ask the father who loves to give good gifts, just like you love to give good gifts to your children as earthly fathers who who are evil and struggle with love. He says, how much more does your heavenly father want to give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him? So today, there's no prescription for this other than we come together and we ask him and we pray. So if that's you, this is the time. This is the time to pray. If you're struggling in the other areas that I talked about, come forward. This is the time to pray. Don't put off. If the Holy Spirit is calling you and drawing you, don't put off this moment as we close together.